0: Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in B.C. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. I'm from Winnipeg. I know all about cold, snowy winter. Out here, they haven't got a clue. Yeah, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. That's the guy from Winnipeg this week. He's just shaking his head at all these lotus landers getting stuck in the snow. You hear this every time, right? People in Vancouver, they don't know how to drive in the snow and ice. They get a dump of snow once or twice a year, and it's a gong show out there. So we get shamed by the people from Alberta, Manitoba. Tim, play that Winnipeg guy again there, will you? I'm from Winnipeg. I know all about cold, snowy winter. Out here, they haven't got a clue. I got a clue. Okay, bud, but you're from the flatlands, right? You got to drive up these hills there? Look at all the hills we got here. Here's the question for you this morning. Is this a bum rap? Is this like a cheap shot at Vancouver drivers when it snows here? It's often heavy, sticky snow. You get that warming and freezing pattern that comes in and creates ice. We got that going on right now. And we got hills all over the place. So. Yeah, people get stuck. So we'll talk about that today. Get set to call me on it. We got lots more on the show today. Grocery store prices still remain high. Inflation up 3.4%. Loblaws, the largest chain of grocery stores in the country. Check out what they're doing here. They are reducing their discounts on expiring food products. So these are the deals you often see on fresh meat. For example, I look for these stickers all the time. Reduce. I don't care if it's expiring in a couple of days, I'll buy it, save money. Loblaws announcing their usual 50% discount now being reduced to just a 30% discount. Really, Loblaws? Come on now. Their revenue there, the profit at Loblaws in the last fiscal quarter was $379 million in just three months. The 8.3% increase over the previous quarter. Talk about that today. Also, the soaring number of international students in Canada, we'll talk about that today. 800,000 international students. There are no limits on the number of international students. Check this out here. An analysis by StatsCan in November found 19% of international students with study permits did not have a record of studying at a college or university in Canada nineteen percent what what's going on there uh, they're coming in well there's international students are coming in and not necessarily studying they're working they're working you're allowed to work when you come in talk about that today the federal government now saying Ooh, we might put a, a limit on this now going forward tell you all about that today. Okay, first, though, we start with the snow and ice. If you're behind the wheel right now, be careful. We're getting reports of slippery, icy spots, so just be careful out there. Reduce your speed. Be careful. Leave a lot of room with the guy in front of you. Let's check in with Grant Gotketru now. Grant is a former traffic police officer. He's now a forensic traffic consultant. Grant, thanks for coming on today. Always my pleasure, Mike. Thanks. Okay, I want to play the Winnipeg guy one more time. Tim, play the Winnipeg guy there again, will you? I'm from Winnipeg. I know all about cold, snowy winter. Out here, they haven't got a clue. They haven't got a clue, this guy says. Grant, do you think he's right?
1: <laughs> he's half right. <laughs> he's half right, okay. <laughs> because you're also right. It's very flat out in the prairies, and, sure. and the lower mainland is uh, obviously quite a hilly uh Lots of hills in a lot of the jurisdictions, North Shore, sure. New West, Burnaby, and, and, and the likes and whatnot. But, uh, I mean, it is it is a problem that goes on on. I think it's getting worse. And the reason why I think it's getting worse, I mean, I, I, I checked uh, AM 730 yesterday just to see all the mayhem in the Lower Mainland because I live in the Okanagan. And, you know, hills are closed in New West and hills are closed in Burnaby and hills are closed in Surrey and there's spinouts and crashes and everything. And it's like, okay, well... Uh, there's reasons for that. I think it's getting worse. And and, and part of it is, and I, I've been saying this for years, yeah. too many municipalities are closing the barn door after the horse leaves, so to speak, when it comes to maintenance of the roads.
0: Hmm. What, just not I mean, getting really, on top yeah, of it yeah, early yeah, enough?
1: Well, there, yeah. Well, uh, how many times has there been snowfall warning in effect? You're going to get a big dump of snow tomorrow, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, or heavy snowfall overnight, a warning, and you don't see any trucks out. And then when it starts snowing and the morning rush hour starts, you still don't see trucks. And by the time yeah. they hit the streets, it's pandemonium already. Yeah, anybody well, who drives around, anyone who drives in the Lower Mainland knows that. Knows that as yeah. a fact. Yeah. That is not disputable.
0: Well, if you listen to the local municipal authorities responsible on this the last few days, they have been saying we're working flat out here to keep the roads open. Um, they knew this was coming. The weatherman was right here. The the forecasts were bang-on accurate. So they knew this was going to happen. And in Surrey, they said they dumped literally tons of uh, salt and brine on the roads, although I did get some callers yesterday saying it didn't seem to make much of a difference. Here's the other thing I want to ask you, Grant. Is the snow in Vancouver just different snow it's more difficult to drive in than say the north or interior bc or other parts of canada zach zach spencer thinks so he's our car guy he was on an earlier show here's what he told me about vancouver snow let's listen
2: and what happens in vancouver i've noticed is that when the snow falls here it gets it gets compacted down and often turns into ice uh... you can drive along with just a few centimeters of snow and
0: it gets compacted into this slushy very slippery ice yeah, and I talked to Mark Madriga about that precise point yesterday, Grant, about the kind of warming and cooling trends we tend to see too, and it can create that ice. Is that legit? Like, is is that a, a reasonable excuse for people spinning out and getting stuck in the snow here? I didn't
1: believe it until I moved to the Okanagan. <laughs> oh, really? uh, it's heavier snow on the coast. I don't know why yeah. that is. Um, up here, I've had snowfalls where I've been able to clean my driveway, clear my driveway with my... Uh, Leaf blower. You don't. You don't get that on the coast. They a heavier snow, yeah. and it and it compacts quicker. And it does get very. And once it gets slushy, the roads are a complete disaster. Yeah. I mean the, the fresh falling snow isn't so bad. It's It's when it's been sitting there, and then it starts to get. It's heavier. It's a heavier snow. Um, more likely to freeze up real fast. So so Zach uh, is 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 correct in in my yeah. view. Yeah, I um, think
0: he's got a I think he's got a point there. Let me ask you this, Grant. In your years as a police officer, I'm wondering if you ever saw a lot of knuckleheads out there driving in the snow in summer tires or bald tires or old tires. This is a. this is a big problem too. Let's listen to Zach again here. So Zach Spencer here on the problem. He says the biggest problem is bad tires. Let's listen. Okay, and the have that number other, one
2: yeah. thing that people do not do is put on the correct tires for the conditions. You have to invest in proper tires. And it only takes one car driving with straight summer tires to slide on that slippery slush, hit somebody else, and then it's chaos.
0: Okay, do you think, okay, Grant, did you ever see, in your years as a police officer, people driving on incorrect tires?
1: Oh, lots of times. And you usually don't discover it until you attend the collision. And then you look at their tires. there are enforcement initiatives, but those are generally on places like the the Kauaihala or the or the big highways out out of the Lower Mainland, where the commercial vehicle guys or traffic members will be checking the vehicles to make sure that they're proper tires. You don't get that in the Lower Mainland. Uh, heavy snowfall warning days, when there's lots of snow on the road, you're only going to see the essential services out there when it comes to law enforcement. In other words, they're only going to be out there taking calls. They're not going to be out there running uh, uh, traffic enforcement. The traffic officers, you're not going to see them on the road because it's just not safe even for them.
0: Okay, we got open phone lines right now. Our Vancouver drivers, bad drivers in the snow and ice. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Grant True is my guest. Shannon in the Langley. Hi, Shannon, go ahead.
2: Good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, Saskatchewan guy. Right. Common sense is something that is missing. People need to have a full tank of gas, three or four bags of playground sand or salt in the trunk of their car, and winter tires. Yeah. How many people on a snow day run out of gas on the side of the road on, you know and tie up Highway 1 coming out of Vancouver? It's just, mm-hmm. it's just a lack of common sense.
0: Yeah, th- thank you for the call, Shannon. Grant, you agree? Like uh, what about keeping that sand or someone told me you put a, a couple of bags of kitty litter in the in the in the trunk. You think that makes sense?
1: Oh, I know that some people do that, but generally speaking, I think as a society that's uh, we're lazy. We're not gonna take the time <laughs> to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think like, that's very the problem. Keep a yeah. keep a shovel in there too, is a good idea. Yeah. Alex in New yeah. West. Hi, Alex, go ahead.
2: Tires, but I have old weather tires. And it's just bomb really good Michelin's, and I'm getting around okay. But these Teslas and BMWs, it's just it's mind-boggling. And as far as pushing, they like, people are out there helping people push. That's awesome. Myself, if someone gets stuck, I'll oh, offer to drive. I ain't doing the pushing.
0: <laughs> okay, what's up with the Teslas and the BMWs? What's your point there?
2: Well, I just look at the they still got their mags on and the low-profile tires.
0: Okay, yeah, they don't have tires. They got, the, they got the wrong tires on. The uh, the tires you need are, I, I want to get a set of these tires, the all-weather tires, the one with the, the snowflake and the mountain icon on the side of them, right? right those are the winter tires, correct?
1: Now that's what I've been driving on for the last couple of years. They are... Yeah. Excellent tires. They really are. Good. Yeah. Don't bother with all seasons because all seasons, like we've said before, that's just three seasons.
0: Yeah, they're not all seasons. They're three seasons. No. Yeah, we need all wet, all weather with that icon on the side. i got to get a set of those. Kim in Coquitlam. Hi, Kim.
2: I agree with the Winnipeg driver and the previous caller. No common sense. I drive a Subaru Auto Drive with winter tires. I change them over every year and slow and steady. I remember years ago driving from Chilliwack to Vancouver in a whiteout. Basically, I had a Honda in first gear but with winter tires, all the way slow and steady watching SUVs go off the side of the roads, all in the ditches everywhere because they were flying because they were invincible.
0: So, yeah, low gear, thank you Kim, low gear and going slow too. I think that helps. 604 280 Star 98.98 on your cell, Les, in Abbotsford. Hi, Les, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I, um, I uh, ran the snowplows for the city of Abbotsford for years. I've been out in the last couple of days looking. People <coughs> think it's still driving in the middle of summer. They don't leave the time. The tires is a big thing. but uh, p- And people drive way too fast. Uh, you know, it's okay if you got the snow tires, but if you're driving not uh, with the road conditions, you still got to stop. And just kudos to the city of Abbotsford crew. Uh, They've been out. uh, We got like about 15 or 16 pieces of equipment, 12 hour shifts. And the thing that's unique about Abbotsford is we got Sumas Prairie. We got the mountain, we got the Mount Lehman area. So we're dealing with four or five different road conditions and we have to adjust accordingly. So it's, I grew up in Saskatchewan. I've done all that kind of uh, driving also, but we do change different conditions depending where we are in the city of Abbotsford, but uh, it's not a okay. fair job being out there in the middle of the night.
0: No, I'm sure it's not. Les. Thank you for a really good call. And his point, Grant, about people just are generally driving too fast. They're driving too fast for the conditions. Do you agree?
1: It's it's all of the above, really, at the end of the day. And, and an interesting point he made was the amount of uh, equipment that Abbotsford had out. What did he say? About 18 pieces of equipment or something like that? Was that what yeah. he was saying? Yeah. Um, I was reading on Castanet yesterday, the city of Kelowna, 87 pieces of equipment out. Oh. So... Mm. At the end of the day, yeah, okay, we get more snow up here, but they get a lot of snow in Abbotsford too, especially in Sumas, we get those whiteouts. So uh, the, the the plow drivers are doing the best they can with the limited amount of equipment they have. So I don't mean to throw them all under the bus. It's a city problem, not the employee problem. Yeah, The bean yeah. counters are saying, no, nope, no, nope, we need to save some money. Just like, really? And how many millions of dollars are spent every year on ICBC claims because of collisions because of that, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it's just, it's lunacy. But yeah, yeah, too fast. People need to slow down. And, you know, at the end of the day, stay home. Yeah, stay home. That's a really,
0: that's the best idea if you can. Ron and Langley. Well,
1: look at tomorrow, right? Tomorrow there's what, a freezing rain forecast on the coast, I heard? Yes. It's Friday. Have a long weekend. Stay home. Have a long weekend. Stay
0: home. If you can. Don't
1: go to work unless you have to.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Ron and Langley. Ron, go ahead.
1: I uh, got hired out of university
2: into Winnipeg and then transferred to Saskatchewan and then Thunder Bay. So I've seen all the different snow conditions. So the municipalities and the provincial governments there do a much better job clearing the roads. But people are prepared with winter outfits in their car, candles, you know, uh, cat litter, and also a little bit of money in case they have to pay somebody to uh, bring them to a gas station or so. So people are here and not really prepared for it and they need to have proper tires and a proper outfit in their car, because you don't know how long you're going to be staying in your car for.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, Ron. Thank you for that. You'd be prepared for sure. Bill in Vancouver. Bill, you got 30 seconds here. Go ahead.
2: Hi, I'm Bill from Vancouver. I've seen snow, rain, ice, and drive payments. Uh, but in my opinion, Vancouverites do not know how to drive, period.
0: Thank you. <laughs> okay. He thinks they don't know how to drive in any conditions. Well. We could have it we could do another show on that. Grant, thanks for coming on today. Always oh, my pleasure. Let's talk about the prices at your local grocery store now. And yeah, prices remain high. Inflation being very stubborn here, up three point four percent in December. And look what's going on at Loblaws here now. So this is the largest grocery store chain in Canada. They have announced that they are reducing their discount on expiring food products. So these are fruit, vegetables, especially fresh meat. I always look for these discounts when I'm in in the meat aisle. Loblaw is announcing their usual 50% discount on expiring items now being reduced to just a 30% discount. I've got Peter Julian standing by to discuss. Let's have a listen first. This report from Global News.
3: As a single mom of two young kids, it's kind of hor- horrible, and, like horrific.
0: Strong opinions from shoppers about Loblaw's latest move to shrink discounts on expiring foods. Where some stores offered 50% off, now it's only 30.
1: It's not fair because if they throw it away, no, might as well give a discount. The number one
4: grocer in our country has missed a clear opportunity to read the room.
0: Yeah, read the room. Yeah, it's kind of bad timing here for this announcement, I think, people still dealing with uh, sticker shock at the grocery store. Loblaw Companies here, they run a whole, a very long list of different type of stores under different brand names. In British Columbia, Real Canadian Superstore, uh, lots of those in B.C. Those are run by Loblaw Company. Uh, the No Frills stores, Joe Fresh stores, also a part of the Loblaw chain, Extra Foods. I know they run a bunch of stores in the interior. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, NDP MP, Peter Julian. I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Peter, thank you for coming on today.
4: Good to be with you, Mike, and Happy New Year to you and your listeners.
0: Thank you, Peter. Same to you. What do you think of this move by Loblaws?
4: It's cruel. It's irresponsible. We have families that are struggling to make ends meet and put food on the table. Many of them uh, look for expiring food as one way of putting food on the table. And Loblaws is making record profits or almost record profits. Uh, Galen Weston earned as much uh, in the first eight hours of 2024 as as most Canadians uh, will make in the entire year. I mean, it's just unbelievable how out of touch these uh, grocery chain CEOs are, and, and that's why Alistair McGregor who's our food price uh, gouging critic, ha- has called for an investigation by the Competition Bureau so that we can really uh, expose uh, th- this kind of food price gouging and take action uh, to protect Canadians.
0: Okay. Loblaw is saying that this is not gouging. This is just normal business practice, that these type of discounts are reviewed and changed all the time and that they're just matching what their competitors are doing. So they're saying that other grocery stores that compete against Loblaw, their typical, their typical breakdown or markdown on an expired product is 30% or around 30%. So he's there, He says they're just doing what everyone's doing in the market. Are you buying that? Uh, Not at all. And that's why the Competition Bureau, I mean, the NDP has
4: pushed uh, uh, both the former Conservative government and the current Liberal government to enhance protection for consumers through the Competition Bureau. And, And Jagmeet Singh has a bill that will greatly enhance the powers of the Competition Bureau to protect consumers. But the the idea that that all the grocery chains are working in concert even, I, I think, adds more fuel to this idea that what we're seeing is uncompetitive practices and food price gouging right across the big grocery chains. People don't necessarily have the ability, because as you pointed out, so many of the chains are owned by the same uh, corporate CEO or corporate entity. Uh, so they don't necessarily have the ability to, to go to uh, a mom and pop sh- store that is not going to be food price gouging. And, and so as a result, Canadians are, are often held hostage by the practices of these corporate CEOs. And, and that's why yeah. the government has to take action. Mr. Trudeau hasn't been willing to. The, the conservatives never work. Uh, The NDP believes that we need to take action to end this food price gouging of Canadians.
0: Speaking to NDP MP Peter Julian, one of the things that occurred to me was, you know, of course, Loblaw and the other big grocery chains deny there's any collusion going on. But when Loblaw says that we are effectively raising our prices on these expired food items because our competitors are doing the same thing, I mean, isn't that kind of almost... A classic definition of collusion, like <laughs> the other guy, uh, ab- our competitor absolutely. across our competitor across the streets raising their prices, so we're raising ours too. Uh, absolutely, and we're <laughs> seeing the same uh,
4: with gas price gouging, and that's why uh, Canada has lagged behind the rest of the world in terms of putting in place consumer protections against this this kind of gouging by corporate CEOs. And and I note it's not just that uh, blah, blah has issued this uh, this wild press release saying that. What they were actually doing was clarifying prices because some prices were at 50 percent, some prices were at 30 percent. So they clarified it by raising the prices for Canadians who are buying expiring food. If that was the case, they could have they could have clarified it by by moving the 30 percent discounts to 50 percent. But they've also they're bundling this expiring food now. So it's not only that you are are paying more, but you're getting food that you might not necessarily uh, want to have in this bundle. So the expiring food is kind of put together. They raise the price, and you get food that uh, you don't have a choice of the kinds of food, expiring food huh. that you're actually buying. It's, it's a, really a cruel practice when you think of, of seniors who are on fixed incomes trying to make ends meet, people with disabilities that are struggling to make ends meet, families like the single mother that uh, uh, you uh, had the interview on. It, 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 these, are, these are people who are all struggling to make ends meet, and what we see is Loblaws with their record or almost record profits, trying to gouge Canadian consumers even more.
0: Yeah, I took a look at Loblaw's profit in the last most recent quarter, and it was $379 million. So that's just three months of profit, and that is an 8.3% increase over the previous quarter. Peter Julian is my guest. Let me play a clip here for you. Your party leader here, Jugmeet Singh. So this is the NDP leader going after and grilling the CEO of Loblaw Galen Weston. Let's listen. They look at you and they see you making record profits. You're making more money than you've ever made. How much profit is too much profit? We're a big company and the numbers are very large, uh, but it still translates right down to the bottom line at $1 per $25 of groceries. Okay, so he says the profit margin is $1 on $25 worth of groceries. So basically, a 4% profit margin. Which has been reflected, I actually looked up their most recent annual report, and that's contained in their annual report too. 4% profit, Peter, how is that gouging?
2: Well,
4: that's, that's their, they're talking about their, their margin. And as you know, Loblaws uh, was convicted of the bread price fixing. Uh, so they're fixing prices higher than they need to be. And so we're not talking about the marketplace here. We're talking about gouging raising the prices unnecessarily so uh as galen weston said in response to jagmeet singh's question that, that there is no limit in terms of the, the amount of profit uh, that they want to get from canadians that's where why the federal government has to step in that's why the competition bureau needs those ndp uh, powers to investigate these kinds of of fixing scams that we've seen, whether it's bread or any other commodity, in this case, expiring food, to to stand up for Canadians. Most countries have uh, enhanced consumer protection. Canada has lagged far behind on this. And we we need to ensure that grocery chain CEOs can't gouge seniors and people with disabilities and families with kids, uh, that they're setting a price that's a fair price, that's actually a market price, not something that is designed to gouge consumers. Okay,
0: okay. Your party has talked in the past about some sort of excessive profit tax or a windfall profit tax. How is that still your position, and how would that work? Like, if Loblaws is raking it in, and yeah, they make a lot of profit, you're saying, what, they should pay higher taxes? How would that, how would that fix anything?
4: Well, first off, uh, how it would work? It would work like we had during the Second World War. We had an excess profits tax as we went through the second world war so that companies couldn't profit from the war situation to gouge consumers and that worked very well because it allowed uh, the federal government to provide more supports to Canadians, so when we talk about windfall profit tax, it's it's very similar uh, to the excess profits tax that was established in Canada over a number of years in, during the Second World War. What it would mean is that we could provide more supports uh, to Canadians. I mean, we we pushed for the grocery rebate, as you know. Uh, we've uh, forced the government to put in place a dental plan to protect. Uh, Canadians who don't have access to a dent- dentist, uh, affordable housing as well. The windfall profits tax would mean that Galen Weston uh, would have to give back some of the ill-gotten gains that he's gotten through these, uh, this food price uh, gouging. And, and that would mean that we could provide well, more supports
0: for Canadians. But, but if you just increase the taxes on them, wouldn't that just be another input cost for them doing business and they would, could drive up prices even higher? Wouldn't they just pass that tax along to the consumer?
4: Well, that's why the Competition Bureau's uh, role is so vitally important, right? You you need to ensure that consumers are protected from from food price gouging. And, and a windfall profits tax also ensures that uh, more benefit goes back to Canadians. Uh, we need we need both actually in this country. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say when families are struggling to put food on the table, make ends meet, keep a roof over their head. Uh, what we need to do is put every measure in place to support those Canadian families. And, and that's okay. what we are continuing to push in, in
0: Parliament. Let me play another clip here for you from Galen Weston, the CEO of the Loblaw chain of companies here testifying in front of a parliamentary committee here saying that no, we don't price gouge. No, we're not. We're not raking in excessive profits. Let's listen to him here. Then I'll get your thoughts. We offer the lowest prices in the market in our discount stores like No Frills and Maxi. Uh, No Frills is recognized as having the most trusted prices in in the country. We ad match uh, in our large store formats on every single ad that is available in the market. Yeah, so he says that we've got actually some of the lowest prices in the country, and we ad match, too. So if someone brings in a, an ad from a competing grocery store, they'll match the price. What do you say to that?
4: Uh, well, first first off, he said the uh, low prices, and then he's raised those low prices, so he's undermined <laughs> his own testimony. I mean, it was Alistair McGregor that was, uh, and the NDP that pushed um, to get Galen West into committee, and Chagbich Singh was a terrific questioner of him. But the reality is they, the spin does not match the substance. And raising the prices on expiring food that people are choosing to, to buy because they're, they're trying to save money to put food on the table is not a way to establish any credibility in terms of low prices for the low, the Loblaws okay. mega chain. I mean, they have uh, half a dozen mm. different uh, different uh, store titles for for Law but the reality is they're raising prices throughout uh, all of the, the Law stores, and, and it and it really hurts Canadians. And, and this okay. is why I think Canadians need to speak out.
0: Peter, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it.
4: Thank you. Happy New Year to you, and talk to you again.
0: Let's talk about international students in Canada now. Hundreds of thousands of international students are in our country. This is a program that has proven extremely popular, and there are no upper limits on it. Lots of evidence and concerns now that the number of international students putting pressure on the housing availability in Canada. We hear lots of stories of international students who come here and Can't find a place to live. Everyone's competing for housing. Is this program out of control? Now, this is a hot topic in Ottawa right now. Federal Immigration Minister Mark Miller indicating that in the next few months, he could be looking at putting a cap on the number of international students coming to Canada. He's also been very critical of provincial governments here. He's criticized things like schools that he has referred to as diploma mills where students are coming here and not really studying. Maybe they're here to work instead. I've got Earl Blaney standing by to discuss. First, let's have a listen to the immigration minister here. This is Mark Miller speaking about international students just the other day. Let's listen.
3: It would be a mistake to blame international students for the housing crisis, but it'd also be a mistake to invite them to come to Canada with no support including how to put a roof over their heads. It's why we expect learning institutions to only accept the number of students that they're able to provide for, able to house, or assist in finding off-campus housing.
0: Okay, that's the Federal Immigration Minister there. Yeah, critical of some learning institutions, critical of provincial governments as well. Let's discuss this situation now with my guest, Earl Blaney. Earl is an immigration consultant. He's an advocate and advisor for international students. I'm very pleased to welcome him. Earl, thank you very much for coming on today.
5: Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on, to, on the show.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. One of the things that jumped out at me there when we listened to that comment there from Mark Miller, the federal immigration minister, critical of some learning institutions about whether kids who are coming here, students, international students who are coming to Canada are being provided with housing. When it, maybe you could clarify this for me. When an, inter, an international student comes here, is the school expected to provide them housing?
5: Well, I think uh, the minister uh, definitely has set that as a new expectation, but that uh, has not been the case, uh, you know, throughout the last few years, when the volumes of international students were manageable, manageable, which is certainly not the level we're at now when they were manageable as uh, schools spent a lot of time helping them you know, find off-campus housing and so on and so forth. But as the volumes have increased, actually st- a- a- schools have walked away from that responsibility and started outsourcing that to private companies. It's not going very well and everyone's having a hard time. As you mentioned on the outset, the concern is the impact on uh, affordability of housing, not only affordability of housing, social services, you know, access to doctors, access to daycare, all, of, all and and so on, uh, for uh, for Canadians. Um, yeah. And and you know, Minister uh, Mark Miller, who I think, by the way, is setting a good tone for this, which is uh, something uh, something new. From the government of canada there seems their eyes are wide awake as you mentioned this is a mainstream political issue now for the reasons we've talked about yep. but uh, he's right in saying don't blame international students most of these students have no idea what mess they're walking into in canada
0: yeah yeah i mean you can't blame someone who wants to come here i i, I fully understand that but do you think that in some ways these students themselves are victims of the system if they get here and they can't find a place to live
5: Well, i think it goes way beyond that mike i mean that's that's the first that's the first part of the problem that they're going to face when they arrive in canada i think that the the broader bigger picture here the bigger concern is why are they coming to begin with the answer to that question increasingly more and more and in in the in 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 some cases for community college we're talking 90 percent are driven by edu immigration they're not coming here to study at a particular school particular program that's incidental they're coming here to study and become permanent residents. That's the message that are being sold overseas by education agents marketing this stuff for the schools. The, the transition rate from student to permanent residence is pathetic. I mean, we've got about mm. 550,000 coming in per year. Now it's almost 600,000. But you know, what we're seeing is out, out of the incoming volume, about 10% are transitioning per year. So, so the return on investment prospects are pretty low for international students, unbeknownst to them.
0: Yeah, okay, so you think in some cases they're being sold, what, a false bill of goods? They're being told, okay, you can be an international student in Canada, and if it all works out, you'll be allowed to stay there permanently and work there, correct, and live there, and it's not working out for a lot of them?
5: Well, it's 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 a much greater magnitude than in some cases. In fact, statistically, it's probably about 80% of the time.
0: Mm. Okay, That's how big the is, number is. Is the system out of control like i think a lot of people have been surprised to learn in recent days just how big this system is and the fact that there are no upper limits or caps on it let's have another listen to the immig- to the uh immig- the immigration minister mark miller here now listen to him here go after the provinces here. Now, don't forget that education is provincial jurisdiction. So he's unhappy with provinces. British Columbia in particular has been uh, singled out here. Have a listen to Mark Miller here, Earl, and then I'll get your thoughts. Ahead of September 2024,
3: we are prepared to take necessary measures, including significantly limiting visas, to ensure that designated learning institutions provide adequate and sufficient student supports as part of the academic experience enough is enough if provinces and territories cannot do this we will do it for them and they will not like the bluntness of the instruments that we use
0: okay enough is enough he's talked about putting a limit on the number of international student visas that are issued earl what's going on here is he he saying that he's going to put a cap on the number of students coming here now
5: well, put it this way, uh, Mike, at the end of the day, the first Canada's first international education policy, which was uh, released t- 2012, the planning documents for that, the main purpose was to double the number of international students to 450,000 by 2022. Well, we hit almost 900,000 by that time. So you're right. There is no cap. Everyone's focused on volume, numbers, money, and yeah. uh, the system is flooded uh, with international students. Uh, the immigration minister finds himself in a delicate position because, of course, as you mentioned, there is jurisdictional conflict here with the provinces. So the provinces is in charge of education and split duties between the federal government and provincial government as relates to immigration. So the, I would say right now both parties, the provinces and the schools uh, versus the federal government, are vetting their legal positions. But while while this issue is now blended more in terms of in, in, into the bigger picture of the bigger macro picture of overall immigration volume, a political yeah. issue, um, you know, I think the provinces, uh, you know, get get on shaky ground here because certainly these macro concerns like overall immigration volume are federal jurisdiction. So the minister has announced different kinds of plans. First, he announced a cap, uh, the, 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 the floated the prospects of a cap then introduced yep. something called Recognized Institution Framework, uh, which, is a, which is a matrix system to, to, to evaluate schools and, and their viability for international st- students, and now he's back to CAP. So, it sounds like they're going to go with the macro policy initiative a- a- and, uh, a- and try, to tr- try to get a hold on this, but uh, the provinces, schools, and, and industry lobby are kicking and screaming all the way, as you might imagine.
0: How big are is the scam part of this now? Because you hear lots of stories about schools that are just maybe operating out of a storefront in a in a strip mall that aren't really schools. You hear a lot about international students who come here and they're not really studying. It, it's really just kind of a, a back door to get into the country and work. And I was shocked. I was reading. Uh, this is in the Globe and Mail recently looking at it now for your thoughts Earl an analysis by statistics canada found that around 19% of international students with study permits did not have a record of studying at college or university here what what is going yeah. on is, is there a scam going on here like some of these some students are coming here not they have no intention of studying they're coming here to work is that what's happening
5: well i mean There are some people in this industry that have gone as far as to call this human trafficking. Um, I I don't know if I would go that far, but the bottom line is IRCC, the Department of Federal Immigration, has been aware, clearly aware. It's their data that show that huge volumes of international students that are assigned to a particular college through the visa process never show up. There are some schools that zero of the students who gained access to Canada to enter Canada to be a student at that school have never shown up at that school. Zero. We have clear evidence and and that we have forwarded to IRCC and, uh, you know, the provincial ministries of schools in their province that are selling degrees to kids that have never even attended the school.
0: So, I mean, yeah,
5: how bad is it? That's pretty bad.
0: Okay, we continue talking about international students in Canada, unlimited numbers, there are no caps on this program right now, and it has exploded, as you've been hearing in my conversation with Earl Blaney. Earl is an immigration consultant, he's an advocate and advisor for international students. Yeah, when you talk about those no-show schools, Earl, like international students who come here, they enroll in a school, and then there's no evidence they actually attend the school. The minister has referred to some of these schools as... He even called them puppy mills, puppy mill schools, or people might be familiar with the term a diploma mill. What is that? It's like a fake school, right?
5: Well, you know, I, I, I guess uh, it's uh, a warehouse uh, full of students. Uh, but this is not yeah. only happening at private colleges, which is often misunderstood. Public colleges are maybe less egregious in in, in terms of program delivery. But I mean, at the end of the day, there are records of public universities in Canada admitting 99% of students that apply to get in. By the way, the domestic approval rate for those schools is somewhere around 65%. So there's clear evidence of uh, domestic student displacement going on also. Why? Four times the volume of uh, tuition money for the school.
0: Yes. So, I
5: mean, they're pumping out degrees, public and private colleges uh, together. Um, at un, uh, unheralded levels. The, what happens to these students when they graduate? Because they're coming here for skilled jobs and so on and so forth. These schools uh, tend to be able to confirm only 10% of their graduates have get jobs related to their field of study in Canada. So, I mean, that's what you mean by, that's what he means by a puppy mill or diploma mill, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's been some indication in reporting the last few days that He's this minister is particularly concerned about this situation in certain provinces in Canada, and British Columbia has been has been mentioned here. Earl, does British Columbia have a reputation on on this on this uh, file for running some of these schools?
5: Well, you know, I mean, I think the the main concern is overall volume coming right. So BC places second next to Ontario at twenty percent overall intake for British Columbia. There are a large number of private schools, in particular in British Columbia, that are pumping out enormous number of graduates. Uh, I, U- University Can West uh, is is a is a pretty good example. I'm not getting into evaluating the uh, the the the, uh, the school itself, but I'll say how many uh, MBAs do we need in downtown Vancouver anyway? Because it's probably way more, way less than MBA than mm. U Can West is pumping out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you also talked about the money. Like, let's bottom line it here for a minute because we're talking big money here. We're talking big numbers of people and big money because when international students come here, they pay more, they pay higher tuition rates than domestic students, as you mentioned. Have, have colleges and universities in, in Canada become addicted to this money? Like, are, are international students now like a source of funding uh, coming to the this, well- this schools? Your thoughts.
5: Sure, I mean th- th- there are plenty of schools that uh, their overall revenue tuition revenue is eighty percent international okay and the argument oh. goes like, well we have to do this because the province has been getting us less the federal has been giving the province less money, the province has been getting us less money, so therefore we have no choice well that's fine, but you know at the end of the day, please know that these schools are making more than they ever have before in the history of the school in the history of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are plenty of examples of schools posting uh, profits of a hundred million excess revenue over expenditures, right? So, yeah, we oh. do need international students to offset some of the funding things, but not not as many as you're bringing in. That that's not not a reasonable argument.
0: Yeah, just got a, a couple of minutes left here. So, where do you think this is going? Like, there's a lot of moving pieces here. There, it's been really interesting to listen to these comments from this minister. Uh, obviously something is in the works, right? Like, do you think that the federal government is going to come in and place limits or caps on this now? What's going to happen, do you think?
5: Well, they're going to have to reduce the volume of international students coming to Canada, that's for sure. I mean, there's a lot of backdoor. I mean, it's always closed door meeting. It's always the same folks, right? Government bureaucrats, both levels of government, elected officials and industry lobbies and schools themselves, that's who's in the room. The schools themselves, of course, are the people who caused the problem to begin with. So in terms of real awesome solutions to this yeah i think they're probably just doing damage control but i think the federal government is very worried about the damage to reputation brand canada and that's what's bringing the students in the first place is brand canada if you don't protect that uh, our edu export industry is not sustainable at any level so i mean they they need to move on this and it's got to be fast
0: yeah for sure we're keeping a very close eye on it and i want to thank you for your thoughts and analysis on it today thanks for coming on
5: Thanks, Mike. To you and your listeners, have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.